Welcome to the Chavrusa. I'm Rabbi Avram Kivalevich. And I am Rabbi Kalman Warch. And just like Chavrusas throughout the generations, we hope to be able to speak about things in a way that will elucidate matters, if not put them to a definitive rest. Uh, as I think many people are familiar, the famous Chavrusa pair, Rabbi Yochanan and Rosh Lokish. Rabbi Yochanan said about it, he said that, <laughs> he says, I didn't need a yes man to tell me that I was right. But when I would say, Rosh would ask me 24 questions, I'd be ready to give him 24 pretty strong answers. And through that sort of repartee between them, hopefully some sort of Rav some sort of clarity would ensue. And let's hope we can get some of that tonight, if my Chavrusa will uh, uh, kick in with his clarity. Uh, of course, um, we don't want to mention here that uh, Rabbi Yechner's story ended up getting a little bit heated towards the end, but um, we'll uh, try not to kill each other. Well, okay. we'll see. We also have to mention Rabbi Yochanan, the elder statesman, and Rosh Lokish, the young upstart. Now, before we start, I just wanted to ask you, um, everyone knows Rabbi Kivalevich is a master historian. Okay, let's, let's master historian, okay. And um, I, I was just wondering whether you could give us some of the history behind the Torah movement from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel, um or um, exile. Um, was it always that um, if you wanted to go learn and have a good year, that you would do it only in Eretz Yisrael? That was the place to learn? Well, obviously we know that uh, anyone who's familiar with the history of the Talmud realizes that there were shifts back and forth. For a while, Bavel, Babylonia, was the seat of Torah learning. And, of course, Eretz Yisrael in the time of the Mishnah was, but even in the time of the Gemara, Eretz Yisrael, at sometimes the aforementioned period of Rabbi Yochanan Rosh they became dominant again. However, as we know, uh, eventually things became very difficult for the Jews to live in Israel. And Bavel, Babylon, became the repository of most of Torah learning. Uh, and really, it was only until very recent times that Eretz Yisrael once again took on its dominance. Uh, and that, I think, probably we can all say happened uh, especially after the establishment of the State of Israel, because at that point, the amount of refugees and the amount of people coming to Israel added to the population that was already there for a couple of hundred years, turned Eretz Yisrael, turned Israel into the great Torah center and really churning point of everything that happens in the Torah world. Uh, I think what we have to really discuss is uh, what this churning Torah world, what are some of the issues about jumping into that, and what has that done to the United States, uh, the whole Torah world yeshiva system? Uh, we do agree that, uh, of course, the uh, the way it is right now, if someone really wants to um, complete his education in Torah, he does have to spend that time in Israel gaining from the great yeshivas that are there, right? Well, no question about it. Uh, as the way things are today... A high school student who does not have the chance to learn in Israel is probably missing something. Uh, there's so many yeshivas out there, so many type of teachers there, that no matter what the student is and what his issues are and what his difficulties are or what his strengths are, Eretz Yisrael could probably m- meet them and elevate his level of study and produce a very fine human being. I would agree with you um, for a... Um, Bacher who is above average, a student who is above average, or even a seminary girl who is above average, who wants to um, help herself grow or help himself grow, 
Um, I would name a couple of yeshivas like Mir and Brisk, the great um, Torah the centers of our The Harvards and Yales of, of the Torah world. So those Ivy League class yeshivas, I would think um, you would be right that um, if someone really wants to grow. But by the these... way, I'm, I'm a Mir man, by the way. I You're a Mir say, man. Yes, I've okay. got my Mir pennant on. Go ahead. I was actually going to say... Um, that was before Mir had about... 10,000 people thronging around it. This was in the days when you could still see your feet in the base madrash. But go ahead. But the average, or especially the subpar um, students, would they necessarily lose if this school existed in the um, United States? Couldn't you have that same school catering to all the types of students um, spread out throughout the United so basically States? Basically what you're saying is, is that Israel should be the place for the elite student who has what it takes to get into that grade school. And the kids that don't seem to cut the uh, mustard, they should be farmed out Not to some sort of Not even if they American should, school. but do they, need, do they need to go to Israel? Does it have to be made that um, to continue your education, it's now Israel time? Can't we well, have the same thing? Well, it seems like Eretz Israel would probably be, and this maybe I think is what you're trying to say, although it's not clear to me, is that Eretz Yisrael might be uh, the place now, but maybe we should have take those yeshivas and actually place them here in the United States? I would think so. I mean, I'm not talking about the guys who go to yeshiva and they, um, they're really going to tour the country. So you're, talking or... about, you're talking about the yeshivas that are built and zeroing in on American, Canadian, English kids who aren't necessarily the strongest in their class, but mm-hmm. they happen to have parents who want them to have some sort of Israeli exposure. And now for Israeli exposure, you could spend the four weeks in the summer and go to um, digging in all the caves and et cetera. No, no. I think but, the parents are more than that. They just don't, they don't want they just don't want to tour. Some of them have probably toured with their kids uh, many times over. There's actually a joke they say that um, the Bacharim today, they can't figure out whether they should be more like Avram Avinu who toured the country or more like Chani Amago, who slept for 70 years. And at the end, they all decide that we have to be like Chani Amago, because when he woke up and came to the yeshiva, and so his chavrusa wasn't there, he went back to sleep. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying that there are some students who this like becomes, I, the fact yeah. that they're in Israel becomes actually a negative thing. They oh, um, use it um, as a time when they can go to school without parental supervision, and just... Do whatever okay, they the want. Auto, so listen, you, if they were could, to be I, in a similar school within the their States, community, in the United they, States, they wouldn't do some of the things they do. Now, I, we're not even discussing why those because of this because they're six thousand miles away, or because it's an Eretz Yisrael. I mean, you would because think it's so far away, and um, because it's Eretz Yisrael. I don't know. I think you're listen. Maybe Kalman, you're closer to your Israel post high school experience than I am, but I do see. Quite a number of my students. Because you didn't step out of Meisharim the whole time you were there. Maybe you went to Geula, but no, Baruch Hashem, I I believe that I was able to get quite a bit out of the spirit and flavor of Eretz Yisrael. But but I'm telling you that there are students, my students, who I've seen here in Chicago, who had let's say a somewhat of a mediocre high school career. And then when they came to Eretz Yisrael, it really did amazing things. But to who's them. to say that it wasn't simply the time for them to start learning, and they would have done that had they had a similar school possibility in the United States? I, I want to just bring up another thing. That um, the reason why I'm saying this is not because there necessarily is anything bad with the schools in Israel, 
But what's the need for it? Especially there is a great economic strain on the schools in the United States from the fact that um, the well, schools are... Of, well, there's a lot of Russia yeshiva who need their, to have people support their school. And Chicago and other cities throughout America are flooded by them trying to uh, get support. Most... There, there is a great pressure in some of the schools. I, are you going to Israel? Which yeshiva are you going to Israel? And they're all... I'm figuring out. Okay, so let's put it. Let's let's try to put this in perspective. We all agree that there should be these schools. The question is where it should be, where it should locate. You're going to have a hard time convincing me that it's it's better for the schools, those schools, to be located here in America. What I will I'm not well, saying what that I'll these agree schools will we should be have, better. We should have those type of schools in America. There should be the Israeli specialty type of yeshivas, but there also should be. Schools like that, modeled like that here in America, and the pressure shouldn't be so hard on the kids. They have to go to the Israeli version of it. But you being an experienced educator in high school, would you really think that the the schools that are in Israel are all um, specialized towards the students? Are there not maybe too many and therefore... Definitely. We could definitely gain from conglomerating some of the schools. In fact, many of them are really, if you, if you, if you would do the uh, sort of uh, research, you would probably see that many of them are sort of break-off schools of others. And there's probably uh, a, somebody someday is going to put some great map of the first of those schools and how all different rebellion broke off and started theirs. And this is a breakaway of this and a breakaway of that. Uh, yes, there's too many. And it does cause a very big problem in the high schools. I've spoken not only here to educators here in Chicago, but throughout the United States and Boston and Washington and other places where these men, these Rosh Hashivas who believe their school is great and believe they have what to offer, these people come into the schools and force the kids to – it's a disruption to their daily learning and it puts on the great pressure. Um, and – I guess the question is, for what? Uh, you know, I remember that uh, there was a rov in the city that I was raised in that said that sometimes <coughs> there was a certain shul that barely had 10 people, and they did everything to keep that shul going. And the rabbi was a young man with a lot of conviction, and the rov said, I, that shul really doesn't have a purpose. But if a shul can exist in order to give one good Jew parnosa, then perhaps it's worth it. You know, these people need to have parnosa and they need to have uh, a way to continue their jobs. However, perhaps there is too many and we should perhaps think about that. Can't I mean, we implant? You know, if we stop giving them money, you know, if, this, if the community stops supporting them, of course, these schools are going to close. Can't we find a way to insert these yeshivas, these um, specialized yeshivas geared towards specific students and specific capabilities? Can we implant that somewhere in our schools? Can't we have that the 18 to 21-year-olds who would um, be going to Israel should have that option of getting a similar education in the United States? Is there anything besides for the Kedusha and the holiness and the great um, and well, spiritual liveliness one gets from Israel? I'm talking about education-wise. Is it really necessary for those yeshivas to, to only exist in educationally, Israel? Education is a multi uh, it's a multifaceted experience. It's the idea. It's how to learn. It's how to understand a text and how to explore 
our history, but it's also the exposure to what's around you and the type of people you see. Clearly, I mean, you know as well as I do, there are people, uh, audiovisual learners. Can you imagine the audiovisual learning of learning in the life of Israel, which is clearly something they can, they can learn? I, I don't deny, Kalman, and again, I thought I made this point pretty clear a couple of minutes ago, although you were probably, you know, thinking about your next point, but I thought I made this point pretty clear. Yes, keep the, let's have that model here. In fact, you're too, a little bit too young to remember, but when I was growing up, there were a lot of big, strong yeshivas throughout the United States that are now, if not in decline. This is when the uh, caveman times? Or? The, the Cro-Magnon's time, yes. Well, this was actually in a time. Neanderthal man. Yes, well, yes, there was, yes, Kalman, there was a period before uh, George Bush II was president. Yes, there was a time in, in Jewish history and American history before that. Um, at that time, way back when, in the wild and woolly 60s, there was mammoth? what? No, I mean. <laughs> okay, listen. <laughs> we have to edit some of that stuff out. <laughs> yeah. the, in the wild and woolly sixties, there was great. There was a lot of schools that were very strong and prestigious, and that great rabbonim, great rabbis working there. And many of these schools are a hollow shell of what they had been, because all the young talent has gone off Teretz Yisrael. All the young people, instead of seeing these places to go, have seen Eretz Yisrael as the place to go. And I think that is what has hurt us. You're, You're right. You're saying it's because I, it's, the Gedolim are all in Eretz Yisrael? That's why the great yeshivas and the great learning um, capabilities? One second. We know that's why they went. The problem is, where is America's homegrown Gedolim? Since the death of, of Rav Moshe Feinstein, Zechot Tzadik Levrocha, and Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, and others that have passed away, Rav Pam, Zechot Tzadik Levrocha, and others, there has not really been, uh, at least we haven't seen, a huge filling of that vacuum. Well, I don't know about that. I, and I, I think that I, a lot of that can be maybe based we don't on have Rav Moshe, but we have we have great Shivas today, even Rav Moshe's sons. Who, are, listen, who are we to say who's truly great? But we definitely know that the great minds and those bright minds and the people that really feel something are are the only place that they have an option to go is to go to Eretz Yisrael. The ones that come back here are the ones that can't make a living and live in Eretz Yisrael. So what are we left with? We're left with a community that basically funds Eretz Yisrael. Instead of a community that can also give spiritual guidance, that can give spiritual guidance a la Ramosha Feinstein, a la the Satmar Rebbe, a la the Lubavitcher Rebbe, we have a community, we have we have a a community that davens fervently for Eretz Yisrael, that loves Eretz Yisrael, that gives tons of money for Eretz Yisrael, but how close are we to producing a, a, anything like the intensity and learning of Torah that there is in Eretz Yisrael? You're listening to the Chavrusa, and we'll be going weiter after these messages. This is the Chavrusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. And I'm Rabbi Kalman Warch. And, uh, you know, I, I think that what we, we know that Eretz Yisrael, unfortunately, is under attack and these horrible monsters can strike What about anywhere. what the yeshivas do? Um, I remember when I was in yeshiva, um, there was some kind of fighting going on, and the yeshiva decided that um, due to the um, dangers and the um, 
problems that uh, Klausa was experiencing at that time, it's become an Eistvila time to Davin. So we're going to go throughout the country and visit all the um, graves of the um, great um, righteous men of our history, and we're going to go pray uh, pray by these um, kvarim. Isn't that a sort of oxymoron? I mean, you're talking about the dangers of okay, what's, what's going on in our generation, what I, what, listen, and you're, you're sitting, traveling. We're sitting here in the comfortable TRN, thank God, air-conditioned offices here tonight, and you're sitting back and talking about what the Jews in Eretz Yisrael are trying to do. I mean, they are turning to any means they can. If they need inspiration from their departed Gedolim, you know, how can you sit that there and Shiva should get that? into a bus and drive around, drive past Arab settlements where they are endangering. I mean, I myself went on those Shabbosim to Hebron and woke up in Shabbos morning from to the sound of gunfire. I mean, I felt no danger at all. But the fact is that for a school to pick up all these students who are in the safety of their school, who if they really wanted to pray, there is the Wailing Wall okay. a couple of miles away, and instead so go throughout right. the country? And you're right, uh, although your son, I think, is a while away, you're right from going to yeshiva. You're right for expressing concern. If I, my son, who did study in Eretz Yisrael last year, I, of course, was concerned about what security the yeshiva took. I personally would not be afraid, and I would, I would send, because I feel that there is no um, grave danger. But... There are many parents out there who are concerned, and they say, well, I'll send my student, but keep him in that building. You know, just trying to connect this back to what we were saying before. Would you say that a a parent should specifically send his student now? Let's say there even existed viable options, which were just as good for that student here in the United States. Is it right for the parent to make, to send a message that I am going to send my kid there to Israel and I'm not going to be cowered by the terrorism? I sort of felt that way last year when I sent my son, but I'm not exactly sure if uh, every parent should feel that way or we can actually push parents there to feel that way. There should definitely be a patriotism or saying, well, we're not going to give in to these terrorists who are trying to destroy everything we've worked so hard on for the last 2,000 years. But... Shouldn't there be a little bit more caution? In the places that the students happen to go to, um, these um, Israeli restaurants that the Americans like to hang out in, place, I don't want to mention any names, that many post-high school um, students go to, and that place happened to have a um, suicide bombing. Well, I, I think what... We're, we all know this, that the parents need to educate themselves to the specifics of the program, to speak clearly to the Rosh Hashivas and find out what's going on. That is clear. And obviously, education starts at home. Basically, there's another issue that we haven't really uh, touched on, and that is that if you have a sheltered student, a sheltered boy coming here from the United States, what he runs into in Eretz Yisrael is something he really doesn't expect. And that is an enmity, a hatred, an animosity that is really showered upon him by uh, many of the secular community there. Uh, I remember vividly the pain I felt when I was tramping around in the, uh, in the Golan and nobody would give me a lift because they assumed that I was an Israeli boy who was chucking my responsibility and not serving in the army. Um, there is a, a fierce hatred that you feel and you read and you sense and you see uh, and I think sometimes the kids aren't ready for that. And uh, I think that's something that, that we have to ready our kids for. Uh, and as for suggestions, would you say that 
Therefore, we should find a way to cure that animosity? Well, I think, first of all, an American or a, a, not, a chutzl arts person who's going there needs to be aware of this. And I think that we could be great ambassadors but for it. As you it. said before, the animosity really isn't between the Israelis and the Americans, but more between the um, religious well, well, um, well, Israelis and okay. the non-religious well, Now you're Israelis. really taking us out of the whole issue here. I would say that the Chutzlaretz boys that we send there should be aware of it and should be ambassadors of goodwill. If you're now, if we're not going to go into this other issue, the issue of why the hatred exists and what it's all about, well... Again, I think this is something which is a quite a thorny thing. I think, though, as thorny as it is and as complex as it is, I think that it can be reduced to this simple issue, that the non-religious feel that we, the Orthodox, the community there that is not serving in the army, are not risking their children's lives and their families' lives and everything else that's written in the media Everything else about the parasitism and everything else about the lack of taxes are being paid and about screaming and Mayor Sharm and throwing rocks, all of that would evaporate if there would be some way to solve this dilemma. If there'd be some way, and the way is very simple. There are many, you mentioned it before, Kalman, the many students that are on the streets that really, in a certain sense, aren't the best yeshiva boys, but want to be religious and want that religious type of life if we would have those religious battalions uh, where they could be comfortable there, their parents would be comfortable sending them there. And this would c- quickly, much quicker than you'd think, eliminate the type of animosity that goes on now and could really, really save life in Eretz Yisrael. Being somewhat of a devil's advocate, I cannot believe that anyone would take the side of what no. this new idea that's coming up, that to no, make a religious okay, portion believe it, of the believe army... Believe it, because it's right here. I'm, I'm, I'm advocating it and not even playing any devil's advocate here. I really believe this can save the, this can save the, the horrible uh, break that we have between Jew and Jew and Eretz Yisrael. That is giving in to something that we don't believe in, we do not we. believe. Who is that this great we that you're talking about? All the who is this great all we? All the uh, people who believe that their children should not go into the army, that we are not responsible to send our kids to the army. We're not responsible to defend this country that we live in. We're not responsible to go out and try to weed out the terrorists who are trying to destroy us at every corner. What do you mean we're not responsible? The people who are yeshiva boys, guys, kids who should be learning, should not be pulled out of yeshiva, even if they're on a soft bar level. Now is the time for them to be learning and to be sitting in yeshiva and getting their Jewish education. I would agree in the times of David HaMelech, they used to take tzaddikim, um, and if one had even the smallest... Avera, he was sent out of uh, fighting in the war. But I'm sorry to say, we don't have the leaders like David HaMelech who are able to lead us in a war or in a, a mission that we feel is purely based on Torah. Yeah, we, we have with to... the, avoiding the whole Zionistic issue of whether we should be controlling Israel or whether we shouldn't be um, controlling Israel. That's an entirely different issue. But to say that we should take away the boys from their learning and put them in the army where they're um, going to be subjected to As I said before, huge the best, decadence. The and best and the brightest are in the Jewish think tanks. And they should also serve in a religious way. And the ones that are, like we said before, the ones, you call them subpar, but they are ones that can be great. They can be excellent fighters. They can be excellent people that can defend 
Eretz Yisroel and be a tremendous, make a tremendous people. The Gemara to, is full. The Gemara is full of takonos. There's no shortage of soldiers in Israel. What yeah. we're talking about is the parents of the non-religious are complaining. Why my son? Well, send your son to yeshiva. There is this idea that we believe that the. The whole world is living on the Torah that these One students second. are we learning. Know that we Have know that. Hevel P.M. Shal Tanaikis. is not necessarily um, elementary kids. To take these kids and I, to I put say, them I, in I, the I army. Can, I, I can completely, yes. Tinaikis is not necessarily elementary kids. However, my friend, the we know that the Gemaras that you're very familiar with speak about the type of takonos that Chazal made because of Eva, because of hatred, because of difficulty, because of inability to We do to not live. make concessions in the world of Torah, in the world of Torah learning specifically because of Eva. Eva, we make concessions, will allow the child to keep the object that he found. We um, save a non-Jew on Shabbos not, because this, of Eva. This is not the but form to take to kids out of school there are, there are a number of to send them to there's the army number, because there's a, they're complaining? There's a number of tshuvas from Ramesha Feinstein and other gadolim that speak about the importance in fact, I think I might have showed one, one to you recently about the importance of how to deal with people that are not religious, that don't understand our sensibility, and how we have to try to work very hard to come up with a way that they can accept it. And then if we that means have public debates and discussions about this, but not to risk the level of kedusha that our children have well, because as as, they learning in yeshiva. Again, public debates and discussions might do good on the radio shows, but I do believe that there are. Gedolim and Eretz Yisrael that sanction this plan, and many Gedolim who are seek, who are if not secretly, but have been quietly pushing it, and they believe that this is the plan that once it's employed, although it's not necessarily in mass, it doesn't mean every kid is going to be dragged out to go to the army, but there's going to be the the, the stigma of the Orthodox Jew as the parasite who doesn't want to serve. I guarantee if you ask the Gedolim, and I'm specifically to maybe the three or four main Gedolim, they would not ever even think about advocating something like this. I don't know. I'm not so in tune with the mind of the Gedolim as as you are, but uh, I, I believe it's something that... If we we should know that it exists again, what this has to do with Americans going? I've gone. We've gone very far afield uh, from where we started tonight. And anything but having I to do this really anything, is a big point. anything having to do with Eretz Yisrael is always going to take you into very because this issues. really brings up a lot of the dangers and um, um, issues that come up to the students that are there, including this idea of um, facing the non-religious in Eretz Yisrael. Well, again, that might even argue. Uh, for for perhaps sending your kid there, for them to become more experienced. The Nitziv writes the importance of not someone, of being a manig, is to be exposed to things that are going on in the Jewish world, in other areas, even that you don't agree with. Maybe we need, in order to produce manigim here in America, to send them to Eretz Yisrael to be aware of those issues and those fissures. Well, obviously our hopes and prayers are for all the people in Eretz Yisrael, and we join the rest of Klai Yisrael in davening for them. And we hope that if you are out there getting ready to go to Eretz Yisrael, it should be a time that of growth, a time of strength, a time that you'll be able to really realize yourself and, and come back either staying in Eretz Yisrael or coming back and adding wonderfully to our community. You've been listening to the Chavrusa. He is Rabbi Kalman Morch and my Chavrusa. I'm Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and we're going to be signing off here, but between us, we have to go weiter, because I have to extract my Chavrusa from this obscurantist cube he's in, and hopefully 
next time when he comes That's back. That's a matter of opinion. We'll see. We'll talk about it.